Hey, it's Sasha. Welcome to another week of My Friends Do Dope Shit. I'm admittedly a bit blushy because I know today's conversation is going to make me a bit uncomfortable, and that's exactly why I needed to have my next guest on the pod. Founder and CEO of Mod, a sexual wellness brand that's all about good vibes, literally. Welcome, Eva Goykachea. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So I just want to jump right in. I'm probably going to smile and giggle 90% of the time during this interview. (laughs) (laughs) I am 41, so I'm a grown-ass woman, but I am kind of shy talking about sexual health right now with you. But before we get to all of that, I want to talk about the decision to create Mod and what you've set out to accomplish with it. Well, and I'm going to be 40 in a few months. So we're together, we are grown and together we can talk about this. (laughs) And we're mature. Um, And we're mature. Well, so I will preface this by saying that anyone who knew me in high school was very surprised to know that this is what I decided to do with my life. I've always been a very private person. I've been married for a really long time. But actually, that is exactly why I started MOD. So in my early career, I was a legislative aide in healthcare, and I studied marketing and um, before that, and then went back into marketing, worked at some uh, startups, and started to look around in this category because I ultimately thought, given my feminist roots with my mom in New Mexico, I think it was, I looked around and said, this industry is making culture harder for women, for equity, for change, and something needs to be done. Is there a way to use design and sort of the direct-to-consumer model to destigmatize the category. And that's how we got here. So it's not an embarrassing, it's not an embarrassing topic. It's actually a mission that I feel is really human and relatable. And so hopefully we won't be giggling too much. But why is this a topic that is so uncomfortable for so many people? Like I keep trying to ask myself that. I think maybe it's because I didn't grow up in a household where we openly talked about sexuality. Most people didn't. And I think If you actually look at the industry, and we'll probably get into this a little bit more, but if this was beauty, imagine you walking into a store and the entire store is meant for perhaps like a very young age group. It's very loud. It's not inclusive. That's exactly what you see in sexual wellness. So there is no wonder why it's an uncomfortable topic because the industry has not perpetuated diversity. It has not helped you know, equity for women. It is not, and, and look, we're in, for all companies. So it's not just about, about being women, but it's also just, it hasn't made it easier to talk about this at the dinner table. I'll tell you that much. That is for sure. So I'm sure you hear from women all the time who have yet to kind of get to know themselves in a very intimate way. In your view, how have we come to this place where women are like super hypersexualized, yet at the same time, many don't feel like they deserve or even know where to start, I guess, when it comes to their own sexual health. Okay. I'm going to actually reflect on this as it relates to our industry. So, and actually Maud internally, we're, we're doing a really cool museum exhibit. It's called Modern Sex, 100 Years of Design and Decency. And it essentially talks about how the industry has always really put women in a corner in this in this way that is definitely affected us individually. Um, so what I mean by that is in sexual health, especially before birth control, it was all about family planning. So women were just these vessels by which to have children um, and they were good housewives. And then obviously you have birth control, you kind of go through the 70s and the 60s and 70s, and it's we're starting to see more advocating for women's rights. 
Um, but then you start to go into the 80s and 90s and it became really hypersexualized. And a lot of that was perpetuated by the industry because it was their response to, wait a second, we're not relevant anymore because women have choices and they can use birth control. Yes. So now we just have to make condoms sexy and we have to have hot babes everywhere. And then obviously you have porn and the internet and girls gone wild. And so here we are, we have just spent decades and decades and it's been generational that women have not been perceived as human. We've been told we have to be the saint or the sinner. That's just my take. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. So my personal brand and, and my professional brand is built off of wellness and health. And when we talk about wellness, we generally think of things like exercise and and food and meditation, but it's quite clear that your goal is to include sex and intimacy as part of that holistic conversation, as you should. I'd love to know from your own research and expertise how intimacy and sex plays a big role in our well-being. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) It affects everything from, as we probably know, our mental health, our physical health. It is highly tied to really like your heart health and, you know, your feelings of intimacy with your partner and your feelings of understanding your own body. And it's not just about the act of sex. It's about the act of understanding your own body and understanding your own needs and then recognizing that the hormonal benefits to sex, whether that's alone or with a partner, are really, they really do make a difference. And when we suppress that or when we don't talk about it or when we're afraid, we're ultimately like hiding a part of being human. And again, I'm a very private person, so this isn't something that I like. I am not walking around talking about my own personal life, but I think the point is that it's just really human and we all should have access to this and we should also feel comfortable understanding it however it matters to us. Really, Yeah, comfortable engaging it and comfortable talking about it. I suffer from a couple chronic illnesses and I'm going through something currently right now. And a lot of that has to do with chronic pain stemming from fibromyalgia. And I had a very fascinating conversation with a young woman a few weeks ago who asked me about my orgasms. And I was like, what in the actual fuck does that (laughs) have to do with my chronic pain? Yeah, And she's like, it has everything to do with it. Because when you're climaxing and going through an orgasm, there's certain phases of that process that could be very healing to the body and help with pain relief. Mm -hmm. It's true. And I was like, my head almost exploded off my shoulders. And I'm like, well, I have been dealing with fibromyalgia for close to a decade. Had I known that orgasms could have been helping me along the way, I would have loved to have known that sooner. But I just find that whole notion fascinating. I'm not a doctor, so I don't (laughs) want to give anyone any advice, but I do think orgasms and the release of hormones and really just all of these feel-good hormones that are released during sex, during orgasm, are so closely related to really a happy body. And that can be released in many ways, right? Exercise, meditation, etc. But but sex is a part of that. And sometimes in our category, you know, we've been told, don't make this about wellness. This is about having fun. It's sex. It should be raw and all these. But that really overlooks the, the health benefits, the biological and the anatomical benefits of sex. And so it's interesting 
And I hope you continue to have these conversations because it's true. It's so closely connected to all of those things. Yeah, I want to continue having the conversations. And I've been thinking a lot about my own daughter and how I will have those conversations with her when it's appropriate. She's only four years old, but my wish is for her to be confident and empowered in every facet of her life. So do you have any advice on how I could, you know, normalize these conversations when it's the right time? Because I think why I'm feeling or why I've felt so uncomfortable about the topic of sex and sexual health and orgasms and pleasures because I never I never talked to my mom about that. Yeah, I don't think many people have talked to their parents about it. And then <laughs> teenagers or, you know, college students are they're getting their information. Hopefully four year olds aren't sitting on the internet too much, but I think <laughs> no, they're getting they're their not. information. They are definitely not. Or they better Great. not be. Uh, I mean, I have like, you know, nieces who are on Instagram when they're eleven, twelve. But I think the the point is that it's Well, I can speak of my own experience, which was that my mom gave me a copy of Our Bodies, Ourselves at quite a young age. I was a big bookworm, um, but she talked about it in terms of what it was going to look like to be 10 or 11 and get my period and what that meant and, you know, pregnancy, all of these other things. And she, she spoke about it in such a factual and empowering way that I think I just related. I thought that sex was just a part of growing up. I was not able, as most children are, I wasn't able to process the emotional side of that or like what the pleasure side of that meant. And she didn't have to have that conversation with me because it's not the time. But as I got older, I knew what was happening to my body. And then I could start to learn more about the emotional effects of all of these things and relationships, et cetera, as I was like a teenager. So it needs to start with just basic health education so that your daughter feels like she understands what her body is doing and that and you can do that over time as it as it makes sense to her but i think that that's so foundational and most people don't talk about that stuff they don't and i think and it sounds very silly to say this because she is four and i know every parent is like my child's so bright she's bright <laughs> and i feel like i should probably know when the right time is because she does ask a lot of questions she's already asked me how she was made. So I'm sure by the time she's six, she's going to have some very interesting questions for me. Well, I was going to say, I think about this maybe like any topic that is sort of adult behavior versus, you know, not, which is you might talk to her about driving when she's 10, right? And say like, when you're 16, you're going to get your license, but this is why, this is what cars. So if you kind of think about it like this, and I've raised money, I've had to talk about sex, like I'm talking about toothpaste. So I do have sort of an understanding (laughs) of how to just turn this into an everyday conversation. I think if you can sort of think of other areas that you would talk to her about that are less scary for you, then maybe you can start to find the language to talk to her about this. So I have a question. What age, around what time did you start experimenting with accessories for sexual pleasure. I was 23. I was the latest bloomer ever. I I am a bit later than you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty vanilla. Really? Yeah. Which sounds, I think most people are. And I think most people hopefully won't be. And what I mean by that is Maude hopes to fill the void that has been treating sex in such a human destigmatized way that you are then sort of allowed or feel safe enough to go on to explore what you want. We are not a kink brand. We don't have 50 toys. We don't, it's not a fetish brand and more power to the brands that, that are out there that do that. But I do think there's still something missing. And that's what we're trying to help solve for is 
why do we grow up so uncomfortable with just the basics of sex? And so mod's about intimacy more than it's about just intercourse. And I think that- I love that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't think you have to be to start a company. I think you need to be curious and thoughtful and empathetic and you need to advocate for your customer. And honestly, I think that my life probably looks more like our customers than most. I would like to say that it's very sophisticated. Well, thank you. If I may. (laughs) The branding is amazing. Um, You have legions of followers here in Canada that are obsessed with your product. Currently right now at one of our largest Canadian retailers called Indigo, you're you're sold out of vibrators. I I have been doing the research and was wanting to try all of the things and like you're selling very well. And the brand is continuing to expand candles, supplements, body oils. Um, What is your vision and what's next for Maude? My vision is to sort of put this on par with beauty and personal care. Now, simultaneously, you're watching men's personal care and beauty kind of rise up. So I think the future in the future we will meet in the middle Sephora maybe won't just be so feminine etc but we are we just launched in Sephora which was a huge milestone i was going to say that's huge it's the first sexual wellness products that have ever been yeah, in the store in, right and it's 52 year history they've never had sexual wellness so it's a huge it's a huge milestone we're so honored we're so excited their team is incredible and i believe like the future is that sexual wellness will very much continue to be spoken about as part of wellness is owed that we are going to have to make up for a hundred years of it not being spoken about (laughs) and don't even get me started on the 1800s (laughs) (laughs) we'll be right back welcome back to the show so do you think it's the design and sophistication aesthetically of the product that's made it so successful because i just i feel like it's a vibe like i can just leave this out on my bedside table or just leave it out and it actually looks like part of my decor in my bedroom and it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Uh, not that I I don't want to talk shit about other companies and other vibrators out there, but it looks like you have really, your team has taken, had a lot of thought into the design and consideration. We've always led with design because that's the way that you will permeate conversation is if you can create products that break down those barriers. So design for human in many categories have is, is a topic that we think a lot about and, you know, and accessibility and also ease of use. So it's always at the forefront of our minds and everything that we do. And then that's layered on by we're trying to make this beautiful and intimate and exciting and yeah, make it grow up. And be smarter. Yeah, that, that's another thing about the design. It just seems grown up because when I think about sexual toys, I think of like things being named after animals like the rabbit <laughs> or, you know, bright pink colors. And just like what I had in my head was, you know, the word juvenile. That's what I think of when I think of sexual wellness and toys. But this just, it seems very thoughtful and very mature and very grown up if you will. Again, like I feel like we're owed that because how are we going to not continue to be regressive in the category if we don't have products that reflect that? We've all been there. We've stood on that aisle. We've looked at condoms. It's scary. I get it. (laughs) 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 Um, And I think also subversively we're saying 
women should be able to buy condoms and make choices about if they want to be on hormonal birth control. Like there is a lot of subversiveness to Ma that isn't, you know, you'll pick up on it if you pay attention. But I think we're ultimately saying this needs to be democratized. Exactly. So the burning question, my darling, which I'm sure everyone who's listening is probably going to want to know the answer to is coming up with these designs and what works and what doesn't, whose job is it to do product testing? And how do I apply for that job? We would be happy to send you product. So we actually, we give it to friends. Some of the employees want, you know, often. It's all, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing so hard. I know. Is this really someone's funny. job just to be at home or in the office just testing these things out? Well, so we have like a mailing list and then we send it out to everyone and then we get blind feedback. So no name. Um, you know, no age, so we can't identify it as, and I don't actually receive any of the feedback. It's a really respectful, happy place internally as a workplace. I really ultimately want everyone to feel really safe. So our senior director of product receives all the feedback anonymously and we keep it that way. So another crucial part of your mod squad team is the phenomenal Dakota Johnson, investor and co-creative director. What's the backstory there? Like, how did you two come together and what does she bring to the team? So I was approached by her team in early 2020. I was pretty adamant that I didn't want any, I didn't know it was about Dakota. They said, we want to talk to you about somebody um, that we represent and they're very interested in mod. And my reaction was like, no way. Mod is not for sale. We do not want to not literally for sale, but we do not want to put somebody's celebrity face on this company. However, I would consider talking to Dakota Johnson because I actually think she has a great sensibility. She's taken on the topic, obviously, in a very head big on. way. Yes. Head on. You know, she makes the joke in her big, her big sexy trilogy. She's taken this on. And I think it was a little bit of a shock to them that I was open to the conversation because I had been pressing so much to say no. And then also that I wasn't asking for her face to be everywhere. I was just asking for her to advocate primarily behind the scenes. And that's what she does. So she's, you know, we're in interviews together. We get along pretty famously, but she's a busy person and she advocates as much as she can. And we talk about how to make things better and bigger all the time. But that's otherwise it's just pretty organic. So I can't, I mean, imagine that this journey has been easy and it has, especially with the raising the funds. The space is still very much male dominated. So I think what I'm interested in learning or hearing more from you about is what are some of the hardships that you have turned into blessings along the way? Key learnings. I'm pretty strong. So all of these have been, to me, they're challenges. And I don't mean that in like they're roadblocks. I mean it in like, okay, this is great. I'm going to take this on. It's fuel to my fire to be underestimated, to be told no. And look, again, I blame my mom. She's a tough cookie. And I think you being a strong mother is going to serve your daughter for the rest of her life. So I will uh, put that in your ear now because Thank it's just you. Yeah, it's I important. Hope so. Yeah, absolutely. And so the challenges have been, yes, it's historically male dominated. The major players are owned by men, run by men, et cetera. Even most of the newer brands, I have an Airtable spreadsheet that shows all the men who own companies that you would have thought or run by women, or people of color, and they're all white men. I know that to be true in the beauty industry and was shocked by how many black hair brands are owned by white males. Yeah, I know. It's mind-blowing. So, same thing. And I think it's 
ultimately, just like what you're saying, it's such a disservice to the customer to feel like they think they know where they're putting their dollar or getting their information and for that not to be the person that they want to support. And it just perpetuates men telling us what to do. I mean, come on. Those days should be (laughs) over. And I never really understood, for instance, what does a white male know about black female hair? Yeah. Right. So I think that's probably part of your success. So I shouldn't be surprised that you guys have basically crowdsourced or use the consumer base to test and trial products because you're making products for these people. So you want to make sure that you're giving them what they want. Yeah. And I think the customer knows better. And if you're hearing the same feedback often or the same wants and needs often, I mean, you would be completely remiss not to listen to your customer. So I'm trying to also think about some of the other questions that listeners may want to know or what they may be curious about if they're not really deep into sexual wellness. And I think one of the questions that some people might have is when it comes to vibrators, are they using the toys primarily alone or do a lot of couples like to engage together with it? I couldn't statistically tell you what they're doing. However, if you look at our reviews, I think many of them are using it with a partner and the feedback is like, this is actually one of the first, if not the only device I felt comfortable introducing into my relationship. It's not hyperphallic. It's not hyper, you know, it's pretty easy to use. It's really neutral. It's very ergonomic. So we have the vibe, which is, you know, a flutter tip, more pointed shape. And then you have drop, which is actually meant to be used on all of your erogenous zones. So it really is amazing to use with a partner. And I think people recognize, like, they say that more women than not need external stimulation. And so it takes a lot of the pressure off both parties if they're in a heterosexual relationship or even if they're in any kind of partnership to know that there's just a bit of help and something that's really fun and easy to use. So I think people use it together. So a few myth busters... Is it true that using sexual health devices and vibrators may ruin a normal sexual experience for somebody? Again, I'm not our doctor who is Dr. Jen. She's amazing. She wrote the vagina book. So we should we should definitely quote her. But um, no, that is not true. Okay. And yes, I know. I, I've heard people say that over the years and always wondered. Are these people who have used vibrators? Well, I mean, I mean let me ask you a funny question. Yeah, Did go you ahead. you ever say to men, hey, you know, if you keep masturbating, your penis isn't going to work anymore. No. You know what? I've actually fucking heard that in terms of men who are getting too intense with porn. Let me rephrase then. I think that ultimately it's about exploring what are the things that turn you on and get you off, which means diversification is important. So if as a woman you have only used vibrators and you have maybe not figured out a way to climax with the partner or climax without a vibrator, et cetera, you're, you're just going to have maybe a harder time getting in the mental space to physically have that reaction. I think that is ultimately the same for men, right? Which is that you just, you really need to practice if that sounds, that sounds funny, but like, you know, really, you probably do. Yeah, Yeah. you do. And I think that's, Again, not to make it too much about health and wellness, so you extract the sexiness out of it. But if you think about it in a similar way to any of your mental or physical practices, it's the same. 
you have to practice and you have to diversify and you have to push yourself a little bit harder to sort of learn what works for you and what doesn't. And another myth buster, do you think introducing sexual toys into a relationship can make men feel a little bit insecure? Like I've run into that situation in the past where I've wanted to use toys in in the bedroom. The guy just totally freaked out. I mean, I think that that is actually sounds like a response to somebody who is not comfortable in their own skin. And I think that if they don't, if you say this is what works for me and they are not okay with that, you better run. Oh, I did, honey. You better run. I was out. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you say like, you know, this scented candle turns me on. If they're like, I can't handle that scented candle. It's making me feel insecure. Like it's, it doesn't matter what this is. The point is that open communication, trust that that's critical to a relationship. So goodbye. Yeah. I think, I think what happens is that some men and, and the basis is probably insecurities feel that if a woman says that they would like to introduce that into the game at some point, that they feel that that's being introduced because they are doing something wrong or they're inadequate or their penis isn't large enough or they don't know what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. So then you explain to them the difference between a clitoral and a vaginal orgasm and how those work and how they can work in conjunction. And like, again, like this so sad. The state of sex ed is so bad in this country. And then you end up with humans, adult humans who are worried and scared. <laughs> so I think it's just, it's just about listening. If, if somebody is insecure, you're probably, you're probably stepping in their own insecurities unrelated to a vibrator and that needs to be worked out too. Well, thank you so much for your time today and making an uncomfortable discussion, very comfortable for me. Oh, good. I thought I was going to be giggling all over the place, but this was a very mature conversation with some great takeaways. Like I said, I am you. I understand. And I'm not, I definitely am not walking into bars talking about my sex life or even the fact that I own mod half the time. I, I'm like, oh, I'm a dog walker because it's just not something that everybody is ready to talk about, but also we haven't seen enough diversity of how this is talked about, I think, for everyone to feel quite comfortable yet. Well, I think it's fascinating and I think you're doing dope fucking shit. And that's the reason why you're here today. So lastly, this podcast is all about highlighting dope ass people. So I like to end every episode by asking my guests who are three dope people everyone should have on their radar. Oh, this is great. Um, Who are dope people in my book? Maybe one if you can't think of three. Well, I would say actually our doctor, Dr. Jen. She has a podcast. She has a book. She's an incredible OBGYN at Stanford. She tells it like it is. And she's also a Latina and she's like paving her own path. So shout out to Dr. Jen. And has she been with the brand since the beginning? She's been with the brand since really early days. And she is actually the one, and we haven't even... You know, we didn't scratch on this, but I will say she's the one who basically, when we've come to her and said, hey, there's this product, like we should make it. She's like, absolutely not. Wow. It is not good for your body. Here's why. Like she just, she's the one that sets the record straight on this. And I think that that's really critical is having somebody who kind of is her own myth buster and also who advocates for proper health, like vaginal and women's health. So her name is Dr. Jen Conti, C-O-N-T-I, and her book is The Vagina Book, an owner's manual for taking care of your down there. 
<laughs> Ordering today. <laughs> Amazing. And where can our listeners find you online on social media? Well, you can go to Get Mod because we couldn't just get mod. Um, but also my name is my handle everywhere. So it's Eva Goikochea. Thank you so much for your time again today. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I can't wait to see what you guys are dropping next. Well, I'm excited to send it to you to try before we drop it. So Yay. keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. For more episodes, subscribe to My Friends Do Dope Shit on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends and make sure to leave a rating and a review. My Friends Do Dope Shit is produced by Entertainment One. The director of programming at E1's podcast network is Sasha Tong. Executive producers, Deborah Belcourt and Sasha Tong. Producer, Allison Bruff. Associate Producers, Adrian Muhajirin and Chris Chu. Edited and mixed by Adrian Muhajirin. Hosted by me, Sasha Exeter. 